but also there's this thing about relative and absolute risk. So if I say the risk of breast cancer doubles, you'd be going, way, no, not having that. Whereas if you say it goes from two per 10,000 to four per 10,000, you go, well, actually, most people are fine. They're not going to get it. So that's a different way of looking at relative compared to absolute risk. But then also, if you look at it compared to other risk factors, so most women who are not, it's a generalization, but a lot of women I speak to are menopausal. They're scared of HRT because of all this um, media um, sort of scaremongering. But they say, do you know what? I'm not exercising anymore because my joints are stiff and sore. I've got no motivation. So not exercising is a risk for breast cancer. I'm drinking more alcohol to numb my symptoms. It's the only way I can get through the evening and just try and improve my mood a bit. Drinking alcohol, as you say, is more increased risk of breast cancer. And then they say, well, I've put on weight because of the metabolic changes that occur because of the menopause. But also I'm just eating rubbish. I'm comfort eating. I can't bother to cook properly. Um, I'm not sleeping well. And we know people that don't sleep well actually increase their weight as well. But I don't want HRT because of this risk of breast cancer. Well, their lifestyle is increasing their risk more. So even if they took the worst type of HRT with the highest risk of breast cancer that's ever been shown, but they lose weight, they exercise, and they reduce their alcohol, their overall balance will be positive. So their overall risk for breast cancer will be lower than what they're doing at the moment, which is doing nothing. Hello and welcome. How's it going? Hope you're doing well. Dave here. And Steve here. Welcome to the Happy Pair Podcast. Uh, we're delighted that you've joined us. Uh, do you know one thing we should get is a jingle for the Sky Girl Podcast right there? Or maybe we could do one now just for fun. I think we'll do an awful job. Okay, sorry. That was stupid. Okay. This week's episode is gold. Honestly, this is my my new favorite topic in terms of health. It's about the menopause, which I really never thought I'd be really this interested in it. But we interviewed and had a wonderful chat with Dr. Louise Newsom. She is leading up the resistance, as we were saying, in terms of the menopause. She is she is the tip of the spear and has been in this field for a long time. She and, and the whole goal for her is to kind of empower women to live healthy, happy lives. And I think menopause is something that half of the population at large struggle with because, you know, menopause, as we discovered, is a deficiency of hormones. Anyway, it's an amazing conversation. It's a must listen, male, female, gender neutral. It's so important to listen to because as a society, we believe we need to support our women through this more. Yeah. Uh, Dr. Louise Newson, she has a practice where she's got about 100 other doctors uh, helping people, women with menopause. She's got a charity. She's got an app called the Balance app, which helps people identify. She's written a number women. one best-selling book. Yeah. So she really is the queen of menopause. This was enlightening. You know, as we said, we've been very interested in the topic of menopause for the last month now. And today we learned a huge amount more. Um, she covers all the topics and most of the questions which you'll probably have in your head. So I really hope you enjoy this. If you enjoy this, please share it. Share it on Instagram stories and we'll reshare it. I think it's so important to get this message out to more and more people, not just women. As Stephen said, we all need to support one another. Anyway, without waffling, without more waffle, we give you the wonderful Dr. Louise Newsom. Can, can I jump in there first of all, with, with first of all, straight thing? Um, like menopause is a deficiency of hormones and it's I, I, I saw it being um, you know framed that way recently I think it was when I was doing a bit of research for uh, this talk and I'd never thought about that way and even when when menopause uh, when a female finishes menopause they're still deficient in hormones yeah so you never if you finish talk- the only the type day you finish menopause is the day you're dead right because it's a hormone deficiency that lasts forever wow that doesn't mm. sound that good well, like, it, it, it's not good, but it is good because there's, you know, there's treatment options, which we can talk about. But it's the same if you had an underactive thyroid gland or you had diabetes, they're hormone deficiencies, aren't they? So you wouldn't just be diabetic and need insulin for a certain number of years. It would be forever um, if you had type one diabetes or if you had your thyroid gland removed you would not have thyroxine forever, wouldn't you? So it's just another hormone in our body. And wow. then in, in the context of, say, if a, if a man is deficient in testosterone, typically, I know I was told, a friend, Anto Clavin, told me, now over the age of 30, Flinner, I was called Flinner, he said, you'll start to lose 1% of testosterone a year, so make sure you lift lots of heavy weights for your back and, like, your glutes. That's where you'll increase testosterone production, so you'll still have, like, drive, motivation, this type of thing. I thought, cool, that's great. I wonder, is there a similar type of lifestyle measures that can be applied for a female as they start to go through perimenopause and menopause? pause and start to feel the symptoms of hormone deficiencies 
Yeah, see, you can't replace the missing hormones. So our hormones are reproduced from our ovaries, estrogen and testosterone. Actually, we produce three times more testosterone than estrogen. So we can't replace the missing hormones. What we can do is try and improve our future health. So diet and exercise are really important, whether someone takes HRT or not. Now, I don't know whether you've spoken to many menopausal women, but it's really hard for most women who are menopausal with symptoms to get off the couch and to start exercising and even think about their diet because for many of us, you just feel rubbish. Um, often people have reduced, they have low mood, they have reduced concentration, their stamina has gone. Um, and actually there are physical changes as well. So often people find their joints become stiff, their muscles sore, they have loss of muscle mass. So this sarcopenia. So although you could say, yeah, let's exercise through the menopause, actually you'll improve your future health by exercising, but it's really hard to do because it's like trying to run a car without oil. It doesn't last very long. Wow. And even to bring it back up to like, you know, evolutionary, like uh, I th someone had mentioned when I was chatting about it to someone recently, they were saying about there's a grandmother, mother hypothesis, grandmother, grandmother. grandmother a grandmother hypothesis <laughs> about, uh, about why in Ireland we struggle with our THs. Yeah. <laughs> about why the menopause exists, because it sounds like evolutionary, like surely yeah. you'd want, you know, the. Yeah, but it shouldn't, should it really? If you think there's, there's, a, there's a couple of types of whales that have a menopause, but but actually you could argue that evolutionary we're designed to reproduce as women okay um so actually when i'm at the end of my fertile years what use am i really if you think evolutionary and if you go back to victorian times we used to die a couple of years after our menopause the average age of the menopause was 57 average age of death was 59 but this grandmother thing it is really important but actually my mother and my mother-in-law take hrt they're really strong women um i'm not going to tell you how old they are but they're strong women and they're stronger because they take HRT. So I'd much prefer them to look after my children than some grandmother that was, you know, had osteoporosis and heart disease and a bit of dementia. So, you know, you can still be a grandmother with your hormones. Wow. Okay, well, let, let's jump into it because the HRT thing, like, like as we said, we've only, the last month, I'd say, we've learned more about menopause than I've learned in my whole life. And I'm yeah. fascinated with it. I genuinely am. And to my ignorant mind, and to my perspective, I'm I, like I was saying on the on the car journey down here, I was saying to Steve, like, why doesn't every woman take menopause take HRT that's on menopause? Because it sounds like it's a bit like going into a boxing match with one arm behind your back if you don't do it. Like, and and I'm a male, I'm not going to go through it. But it it like, so what are all the fears? What are the typical like? Maybe first and foremost, like, what is the percentage of of woman that takes HRT versus that doesn't? Like okay, what so stage are we at now? I'll demystify a bit in a minute. But if you, right, so six years ago, in November 2015, were the NICE, the National Institute of Health and Care Excellence Guidelines for the menopause. And in the year later, 2016, were the International Menopause Society Guidelines. Both of these are really, really important documents. And they both say that for the majority of menopausal women, the benefits of taking HRT outweigh any risks. Okay, so I've told you both that. What would you say, and this is in the UK, which is better than other countries, what percentage of women do you think who are menopausal take HRT? I'd say it's something like... I'd hope it's low. 30 or 40. You'd love it to get up to 50 70 or 80 or even 90. Because now, I don't know, as I said, it's been the last month I've learned, but it seems like it's that, why would you not take it? Yeah. So when the guidelines came out, the NICE guidance came out, it was about 10%. Six years later... It's 12%. Wow. So <clears throat> this means the majority of women are being denied evidence-based treatment. So whether you're talking about HRT or any treatment, how can you go against national guidelines is, is one big question in my mind. But actually it's because with, when it's HRT, people have been scared away from it. And there's a lot of women out there who think it's a failure. It's like, oh, I'm giving into it if I take HRT. It's like, oh, wait till my symptoms are really bad because I'm not as bad as my friend or my mother was or my auntie is. So I just carry on and battle through it. But actually, if you spin it on its head and say, not just a female hormone deficiency, but there are health risks with it. So it's like saying to you guys, oh, you've been diagnosed with raised blood pressure. It's not causing you any symptoms. Are you going to bother with it or not? And hopefully both of you will say, yeah, because I don't want a heart attack or a stroke. I'm going to get my blood pressure down. And that's the same with menopause. You know, there are health risks. A woman who goes through the menopause is five times more likely to have a heart attack. And if she has a heart attack, she's more likely to die than a man. 
So actually, even if you look at reducing the risk of a heart attack by 50% with HRT, that's enough to take HRT, isn't it? Or one in two women over the age of 50 are thought to develop osteoporosis. Taking HRT reduces the risk of osteoporosis. Well, that's quite good in my books as well, you know. And then look at the mental health effects, effects of type 2 diabetes, dementia. You know, you, you look in nursing homes, it's mainly full of women who have dementia or osteoporosis or both. Um, not men, really. And the big difference between men and women is hormones. So we have to wake up to the, the importance of hormones. We've known for decades how important our hormones are. But you're right, people are scared because 20 years ago, um, it, it, there was a study that came out, it's WHI, the Women's Health Initiative study. It was a billion dollar study, not a million, wow. a billion dollar study. And this is 20 and years by, ago. by then, so in the 90s, 80s, 90s, we used to give HRT out, like we give thyroxine out, it's a hormone deficiency, we'll give you HRT, people feel better, great. And then they thought, well, because it's so good, let's, let's look at it, giving it to older women. And it was a really stupid study for a few reasons firstly they were starting HRT to women in their mid-60s and we usually start it a bit younger the type of HRT they were giving was tablet estrogen and a synthetic older style of progestogen and it was quite a high dose and a lot of the women in the study were obese overweight or they'd had and or they'd had heart attacks as well so they were sort of not your no one's average, but not your average menopausal woman who's in their 40s, 50s, who's not had a heart attack, who's not overweight, just wants to carry on with being healthy. So they gave it to them, didn't really notice much of a difference. And this is the cynical side of me, says because they weren't noticing much of a difference, they weren't proving where this billion dollars was going. So they needed to put a plug on the study. And what they did was they found that this breast cancer risk was hovering over a, a line of not much significance. It went slightly over and they went, right, let's pull the plug. Let's talk about breast cancer. Some of the investigators said, don't do that because this will be the biggest car crash to women's health. It will take decades to get over this. They said, it's too late. It's gone to the news. It's gone to the New York Herald and it's gone to the medical press. HRT causes breast cancer. What they didn't say was, not all types of HRT are associated. And this increased risk is not even statistically significant. And the type of HRT is not the HRT that we give now anyway. So there was, and also when they follow women up, they found that actually women who took HRT have a lower risk of heart disease, osteoporosis and so forth. But also women who only took estrogen had about 25% lower risk of breast cancer. Any type of HRT from this study was shown to have a lower risk of dying from breast cancer. But it was all about breast cancer and women are more than just their breasts and breast cancer is very common whether you take HRT or not, but it isn't the commonest cause of death. The commonest cause of death in women is heart disease and dementia. But also for me, it's an even bigger picture because it's about women aren't being allowed to choose. They're not allowed the right information. And, you know, I can go if I want to, to a, a local car dealer and buy the fastest, sportiest car. And no, I won't be asking what's the evidence that this is going to be safe. Um, am I allowed to drive at 90 miles an hour in the motorway? Who's going to stop me? I'm an independent person. I can do what I like. Um, but when it's our health, we need to make choices. Like, you know, you guys choose what you're going to eat and you do that because you want to be healthy or you exercise or whatever. And I think it's the same for all patients, actually, not just women. We have to choose the right treatment for us. And for the last 20 years, Women have not been given the right information, so they've not got the right tools to make the right information for them. So I'm not here saying everybody has to be on HRT, but I'm saying that everybody needs to be allowed to make the right decision that's correct for them at that time. Wow. Can I ask something? Can I just say one thing? <laughs> no, can, no, can I say one thing? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We're both excited. Yes, sorry. I, I was thinking there. So if you could wave a magic wand, so it's now about 12% of women take mm. HRT. If you could wave a, wave a magic wand, knowing what you do, you deal with this day in and day out and have done for a long time. Like, What percentage of women do you think would benefit from being on HRT? I think actually the vast majority. And um, so the only people where, you, where I'm hesitating really is where we haven't got the um, good evidence. It's women that have had an estrogen receptor positive cancer. So breast, there's breast cancers that are estrogen receptor negative, that's fine. But people think if you've got an estrogen receptor positive cancer, it's being caused by estrogen. Now, 
there are estrogen receptors on every single cell in a female body. So if I had um, part of my arm chopped off and you look down at it, you would see estrogen receptors on the muscles, on the skin, on the blood vessels, everywhere. So if I had a breast cancer, the chances are it would have estrogen receptors in it. The ones that are estrogen receptor negative actually are more aggressive cancers and all the receptor status has just gone from it. But it doesn't mean it's been caused by estrogen. So then there's all these treatments that block estrogen that have been shown that they might improve or some of them seem to improve mortality, but not without risks actually, because if you block estrogen in a woman, I've already said you get a risk of heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, but life expectancy might improve for some women. So these cancer blocking treatment or these estrogen blocking treatments have been used a long time for cancer treatment. So therefore people think, well, hormones must be really bad for these women. But if we take a step back, before these estrogen blocking treatments were available, estrogen used to be a treatment for breast cancer. So it used to actually kill some of the cancer cells because it's got very powerful anti-inflammatory properties in it, estrogen has. So we know from some studies that women who take HRT who've had breast cancer actually do a bit better. But also we haven't got good quality studies that show that women who take HRT do badly. But we see and speak to a lot of women who are told you can't have hormones ever again because you've had this estrogen receptor positive cancer. And, you know, I saw someone recently in my clinic who'd been diagnosed with breast cancer 20 years ago. She's fine now, but she's menopausal. No one will give her HRT. And she's saying, well, I've got osteopenia, so thinning of the bones. My mother and granny had osteoporosis. I'm really worried I'm losing my marbles because I can't remember anything. I've, I've given up working. I really want to have a good quality of life. I've tried everything else other than HRT, but I want HRT because I want the health benefits from it. And it's my choice. And so how can you deny her her own hormones back? So, so, so that's a very long answer to your question is that I think 100% of women should have HRT if they want it. That's really important. But I think the vast majority of women would benefit from it. And that's just from data. That's not just from me saying, oh, I really like HRT because it's helped me work, you know. Uh, and I think it's about, it is, a lot of it is about choice. The studies have not been great. The last 20 years, no one's done any research properly in, in menopause because they've been so scared away from it. So the type of HRT I prescribe is very different to the type of HRT that was in this scary study anyway. Wow. I was even fascinated uh, to hear that even when the studies kind of implying that um, HRT increased the risk of breast cancer, it was 24 uh, women in a thousand. And then if a woman was overweight, it went up by almost mm. the same uh, number mm. percentage, went up to like 48. And if the risk was only went up four points on HRT. So relatively, it was quite yeah. small, whereas the lifestyle measures of drinking two units of alcohol increased it almost to the same. So even the kind of, as you said, the statistical significance of HRT and it's causing breast cancer was quite, you know, negligible or questionable. And I think that's really interesting. And I think when you talk about risk, it's really hard, isn't it? Because when you talk about risk, there's, there's different things. Are you comparing like for like for a start? But also there's this thing about relative and absolute risk. So if I say the risk of breast cancer doubles, you'd be going away. No, not having that. Whereas if you say it goes from two per 10,000 to four per 10,000, you go, well, actually, most people are fine. They're not going to get it. So that's a different way of looking at relative compared to absolute risk. But then also, if you look at it compared to other risk factors, so most women who are not, it's a generalization, but a lot of women I speak to are menopausal. They're scared of HRT because of all this um, media um, sort of scaremongering. But they say, do you know what? I'm not exercising anymore because my joints are stiff and sore, I've got no motivation. So not exercising is a risk for breast cancer. I'm drinking more alcohol to numb my symptoms. It's the only way I can get through the evening and just try and improve my mood a bit. Drinking alcohol, as you say, is a small increased risk of breast cancer. And then they say, well, I've put on weight because of the metabolic changes that occur because of the menopause. But also I'm just eating rubbish. I'm comfort eating. I can't bother to cook properly. Um, I'm not sleeping well. And we know people that don't sleep well actually increase their weight as well. But I don't want HRT because of this risk of breast cancer. Well, their lifestyle is increasing their risk more. So even if they took 
the worst type of HRT with the highest risk of breast cancer has ever been shown, but they lose weight, they exercise and they reduce their alcohol, their overall balance will be positive. So their overall risk for breast cancer will be lower than what they're doing at the moment, which is doing nothing. Well, context is every yeah. context yeah. is everything, and it's the biggest barrier. Like, because you know, as we said, we're only new to about a month, and it really seems like the gold standard treatment to me. Like, it really mm. does. Yet, when I say it to friends of mine that are very open minded, like you know, women who I really admire, they'll kind of go, "Oh, I'm not sure about HRT," and I'm kind of going, "And like, we're only new to this, but I'd be going, why wouldn't you take it? You're mad not to be taking it. Like, you know, mm. th- that's that's my perspective. So, I, I don't know." It is, and I think there's this this thing where people have been made to feel guilty, and also then it's quite hard to access it. So, um, you know, we we did a survey of 3,000 women, and we found that 66% have been offered or given antidepressants for the low mood associated with their menopause. So if they're not getting the right sort of support information treatment from their healthcare professional, that that will confirm their fears. Do you see what I mean? So, you know, we're incredibly busy, um, in the clinic, but also elsewhere with some, a lot of the other work I'm doing, listening to stories of women who are refused evidence-based treatment. And, you know, in June of this year, there was some other guidelines from NICE called the Shared Decision-Making Guidance. And this is key for any disease, but especially menopause. And it is about choice. And I think, you know, with the Balance app that you probably know that I've created this free app, women can be really empowered with the right information, have the right tools to then receive the right treatment. And we found that the app users, 65% of them are getting HRT if that's what they want. So that's a big difference from 12%, but that's because they've got this confidence and knowledge which they wouldn't have had otherwise. I think it's brilliant. brilliant. That's that's great. That's, that's incredible. In terms of, I wonder, can I just, just to, for any people who are kind of still skeptical about HRT, are, are there any lifestyle measures that people can apply to rebalance their hormones? Because it sounds like, like say, black cohosh is often mentioned. I remember mom was on that. I remember, what were the other various things that people kind of, you know, supplements that people can take to well, try to... Herbal medicines and things like that. But but I don't think, you, like from what you're saying, I don't think you can replace the hormones. That no, so, so there's, there's nothing that you can re- replace the hormones like for like with... Um, there's loads of supplements out there and I, and the last 20 or so years when people have been scared of HRT there's been some companies just making money haven't they from from vulnerable menopausal women and for a lot of us who've had symptoms you'd I'd pay anything to get better you know I couldn't get HRT from my GP because they were worried about this breast cancer risk so I had to go elsewhere and luckily I know who to ask but I would have paid thousands just to keep my marriage and my job you know but I think if there's anything that's got menopause on the label that's a supplement don't buy it because it's just marketing there are things that are important vitamin d we should all be taking whether we're menopausal or not some people choose to take things like a good quality fish oil magnesium can be good probiotics as you know can be good but that's that's more about future health rather than specifically for the menopause there's very few things that really help symptoms there's things like sage might help hot flushes but lifestyle changes can some foods you can help but because the menopause is more than just symptoms, we shouldn't be looking at a treatment just for symptoms. We should be looking at a treatment that helps our future health. And so when we look at diet or exercise or supplements, it's not just here and now, it's investing for our future, if that makes sense. Sorry to break the flow on the podcast, but time to keep the lights on. And also tell you about an amazing project. Okay, so we have a dear friend with us, Alan Coleman, and he's been running a company called Wolfgang Digital for years. And he's just started an amazing project called Wolfgang Reforestation. And it's really all about, like, you know, as you know, we're all about green. We're all about the planet. We're all about the environment, as is our dear friend, Al. And Al, they've bought 51 acres down in West Wicklow. They're reforesting it because Ireland was at one stage about 80% forest. Now it's about 3% forest and woodland. And as you know, as the planet warms up, we need more trees. We need more forestation. We need more biodiversity. So... The call to action here is Al's and Wolfgang Reforestation are planting trees. This Christmas, if you want to go green, you can give the gift of a tree. It's 20 euro instead of giving possessions that people probably don't need. It only takes three minutes to give the gift of a tree. You can find details on wolfgangreforest.ie. So that's Wolfgang, W-O-L-F-G-A-N-G-R-E. 
F-O-R-E-S-T dot I-E. And really they're raising money so that they can reforest this 51 acres which they bought, which will be a 30% increase in the forest footprint. So there you go. 20 euro, you can buy a tree and give it this Christmas. So say, what's the process? As you said for yourself, it was hard to get HRT. Like say... Uh, say someone listening they kind of go okay geez I, like I, I've been having these feeling that I might you know might be time to go explore this HRT route do you just go into the doctor and go how are you doc can I get some HRT I'm really interested or, or like how does the process work and second part of that is at what age is the typical like is there a normal age that someone the average person I know no one's average but what is the kind of mean age that someone mm. might start taking HRT? Because from? isn't it the average age for menopause is 52, isn't it? 51. 51, sorry. Oh, you guys have really done your homework. I'm very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. So in the UK, the average age is 51. Some companies, uh, sorry, some countries like India, it's even younger. It's in the mid 40s. But um, one in 100 women under the age of 40 have an early menopause. One in 1,000 under the age of 30. So perimenopause is when hormones start declining, symptoms start occurring, but you still get periods. So there's a lot of women out there, even in their few in their teens, but few in their 20s, quite a few in their 30s, the majority in their 40s who will be perimenopausal if they're not menopausal already. And so there isn't a blood test, a saliva test, a urine test, despite what you might be able to buy from chemists or the internet. There's no test for the menopause. The guidelines recommend blood tests if women are young, under the age of 40, but in my clinical practice, I don't do them because they vary so much. You listen to women and often women can make the diagnosis themselves. Um, on the, the Balance app, you can put in your symptoms and you can create this menopause symptom questionnaire. And then it pulls forward a health report with that on um, the, the, the questions from or the answers from the questionnaire. And also if a woman's got in periods, there's ability to track periods. So you create this health report. And then I'm really pushing people to take that to their first consultation or, or email it in advance to the healthcare provider and say, look, I've been reading information. These are my symptoms. I think I'm perimenopausal or menopausal and I'd like to talk to you now about HRT because then actually for me as a GP, it frees up that consultation. If I have to see a woman and say, do you have any sweats? What's your sleep like? Do you have any headaches? Do you have any urinary symptoms? All these questions about symptoms were going to take me eight or 10 minutes to ask. Whereas if the woman's done their homework, I've got those eight or 10 minutes to actually talk about HRT, which is really important. And also about lifestyle as well, because we know only the minority of women are even spoken to about drink, drinking alcohol, exercise, nutrition, which is really important. You know, we can take HRT, but there's no point me taking HRT and never exercising and eating chips and burgers every day for my meal. It's and is the, it. you know, the way you said when some, when a, when a woman's menopausal, they'll typically have lack of will to exercise and they won't want to eat healthy. Is that the same with a perimenopausal woman? Yeah, absolutely. But with a perimenopause, hormone levels decline, but they don't just gradually decline. They're a bit yo-yo-y. So sometimes people will feel great and other times they'll feel bad. And often um, symptoms are worse just before a period because that's when naturally hormones decline. Um, so they can be a bit all up and down and that can be quite difficult. And, and symptoms really vary. So everyone knows about the flushes and sweats, but some of the, the sort of vaguer symptoms, if you like, is memory problems, fatigue, muscle and joint pains. You know, you think, oh, is it because I'm getting a bit older or is it my hormones? And, and that's really difficult to monitor. And, you know, I missed my own symptoms for a few months and I am I was developing my website, which is the balance-menopause.com website. And I was writing content about <laughs> reduced motivation, poor sleep and all these symptoms that I was getting, but I thought I was getting them because I was working too hard. Um, what I really needed was the app to tell me, actually, come on, this is really obvious, all these symptoms have come. So if there's no trigger for those symptoms, then you really should be thinking, is it my hormones? And, you know, in an ideal world, you know, when we go and see a doctor, usually we get our blood pressure down, don't we? And they often ask us for a sample of our we. What we should be doing for all women is saying, when was your last period? Do you think you could be perimenopausal or menopausal? Download the app. Give me your health report. I'm going to put this in your notes because do you know what? I wish I'd done it for the last 30 years being a doctor because I didn't. And I've missed so many women because I've taken their symptoms in isolation. I haven't looked at the bigger picture because I didn't have any menopausal training. No one taught me. I just 
would treat what came through the door rather than looking at all of this. Yeah, it really yes. seems like as a society, we've almost kind of just left women, oh, you're menopausal, off you go. And mm-hmm. you deal with that. We've It's been very stigmatized, as you've said. And even even the fact that, I, I'm just curious, like not to be a conspiracy theorist, but would there be anyone benefiting from the fact that people see HRT as possibly leading to breast cancer? Like wh- wh- why as a society are we so resistant to it? Because uh, as Dave kind of alluded to, we're both quite ignorant and new to this, but it seems to be very beneficial in so many different ways. I, even my wife, who she, like I think she's She's so up-minded and incredible and I think she's amazing in every way. And I was asking her, would you take out your tea? And she's like, I don't know. And it was like, and I thought she like, mm. she would be the most open-minded and kind of pro-empowerment in every sense. Yeah, and I think I think about this a lot. So firstly, just to be really out there, I do no paid work with any pharmaceutical company. So I do not have any backhanded. I have no hidden interests. I think that's really important that people know. Um, I think it's because of all this misinformation that's being fueled to us. And, you know, HRT also used to be made from pregnant horses' urine. Like, would you really want to be taking that? So there's this whole thing is like, oh, really? Whereas actually all the HRT we prescribe is derived from yam plants. So I don't think that's a problem. Um, I think it's because it's really hard to change perceptions. But the other thing is, is that, you know, if you look at the amount of money that breast cancer charities have, it's huge, isn't it? So if you think of breast cancer, and I'm not undermining breast cancer at all, don't get me wrong here, it's really important, but it's not the only disease women get. And actually, a lot of women die with breast cancer, not from breast cancer. So even if a woman's had breast cancer, the commonest cause of death for women who've had breast cancer is heart disease and dementia, the same as other women, because the prognosis is so much better from breast cancer. So that's where we have to be looking at this bigger picture. So, but people have gone so overboard with the risks of HRT, even with the NHS website, it's telling me about the risks. It's not even telling me that it reduces my risk of a heart attack. Like, why isn't it? Why is it always about risk? Why is it about putting women down? And I find, I mean, it's so much of a bigger picture about women and um, discrimination. And, you know, I've got nothing against men at all. I love my husband dearly, but, you know, you can buy Viagra over the counter. And Viagra came out when I was at medical school in the sort of 80s, 90s. It's fast track. Not only is it been, literally it was a private prescription, and then they said we could prescribe it, and now we can buy it over the counter. Now, there are more risks of Viagra than there are with our own hormones. Yet women aren't even allowed their own hormones. Like, what is that about? Wow, what an incredible link there. I never thought of like Viagra for men, how easily accessible. I could walk into the chemist tomorrow, today and buy it. Whereas yeah. HRT, you have to go through all sorts of hoops. Mm-hmm. And when, when someone does get to the point of taking HRT, there are many, like obviously it's the balance between largely estrogen and progesterone. And um, can I say one thing? You said the word yams there. That's could I just it. eat loads of yams? No, it's the yams no. Okay. actually, yeah. No, okay, good. No, I just, because I'm sure someone listening would go, oh, yeah, can and, I just eat loads and of there yams? Are, and, it, and it is worth adding, you know, we talked about supplements. So you can buy phytoestrogens, which are sort of estrogen-like substances. And some people think they can take those and that's more natural. Well, actually, anything that you buy as a supplement is is under as a food supplement. And, you, and as you know, I'm sure it could be anything. You don't know what it is. It's not consistent. But also, we haven't got good data that these phytoestrogens are as beneficial for health as estradiol, which is our natural hormone. Um, if a woman's having enough to help her symptoms, then she, if she's still got a womb, she should be taking progesterone as well. So, yeah, you can't do it naturally. I think people have this whole thing, don't they, that natural is safe. But there's a lot of poisonous plants in my garden that I wouldn't want to eat, but they're natural. And you could always say that actually horses urine is natural, but I wouldn't want that in my HRT. So, you know, I think we have to be really careful what we're talking about natural here and whether people think, oh, am I playing with nature because we're giving hormones to women who are older? But then we're playing with nature all the time as medics, aren't we, by giving various treatments. So I think we have to be careful what we say about that. Uh, I'm excited to talk to you about the hormone testosterone. I, we were listening to a podcast, you with three other, I think that was called the Apo, 
terry a, a or something pat, a patuckery a, a a pat- I, I don't know i can't remember they were really lovely yeah they were brilliant they were, they great, were great guys weren't they that was Every- a bit weird because i felt like it was a mini desert island disc i had to say my um desert island hormone your desert yeah. island medicine yeah you know. and that's what yeah. i wanted that's that's what what i wanted to talk about was the fact that you were asked your desert island drug is in was there any drug that you thought you would take to a desert island that it was so useful and surprisingly, I thought you were going to say estrogen, but you said yeah. testosterone. Yeah. I wonder if you could talk about that and just the role of testosterone in female and menopause and in humans in general. Yeah, so it's very interesting. If I had this conversation with you 10 years ago, I wouldn't have even know women produce testosterone. You know, that's weird, isn't it? So um, testosterone is produced by our ovaries as women. We produce three times more testosterone than estrogen. We have testosterone receptors all over our bodies. So not just in our brains, but in our heart system, in our skin, in our vaginas, in our pelvic floor, everywhere we have testosterone receptors. And as we get older, like with men really, our testosterone levels decline. And um, there's been very little good quality research on testosterone. I've already said menopause research isn't great. With testosterone, there has been some research looking at libido and libido has been shown to improve with testosterone. there are also some studies, very small, not great studies, showing that testosterone can help with bone strength. It can help with this sarcopenia, this muscle mass loss. But it also, a lot of women find it really helps with mood, energy, concentration, stamina, just that sort of joy to be. Get out of bed and you want to enjoy your day. Um, so it's very hard to sort of measure that because it's quite subjective and um there hasn't been the research done, but we know it's a safe hormone. Um, but the problem is we, we don't have a licensed preparation in the UK. Um, Australia is the only country where they have a female license for testosterone. We used to be able to prescribe testosterone as patches and then the company stopped making it and the MHRA withdrew the license, not because of any safety fear. Um, We use it quite a lot because it is mentioned in the NICE guidance that we're allowed to give it if women have reduced sexual desire despite being on HRT. A lot of menopausal women, as you might imagine, have reduced sexual desire anyway. So, But when we give it, we notice that it helps women with all these other um, symptoms as well, especially the sort of brain fog cognition. So we're desperate for HRT to be licensed. I'm working with NHS England for their National Menopause Programme, and we're really hoping the female testosterone from Australia can be licensed. And we're really desperate to do more research in it as well. Um, But it's very safe. You know, I I take testosterone. I don't have a beard. Lots of women take it, and we just monitor their levels so they're in a safe, you know, female range. Um, And a lot of things with, with HRT, you know, it's very reversible. So if a woman starts taking HRT and says, do you know what, I don't want to carry on. Well, they're in control. They just stop it. Same with testosterone. If anyone did get side effects, they stop it and the side effects will go. But, you know, I've seen thousands of women on testosterone. They don't have any problems. And they're usually it's the, the hormone that helps them get back to work. And, you know, people are hemorrhaging from their jobs because of the menopause and it's just not been picked up. You know, there's, this is why there's this gender inequality with board members and senior people. But any role, any job, people are leaving mainly because of their menopausal symptoms as they age. Well, I'm, I'm really not surprised when you explain it as it's just an inevitable, like your hormones are going to dwindle and decline completely. So it's inevitable, like so really to in, a, in an equality world, like why wouldn't... Yeah, mm. anyway, I've, I've expressed that. <laughs> uh, in terms of research, you mentioned there there's not a lot, a lot of research. Have you, like you, you are at the helm, like you really are at the tip of the spear in terms of menopause in the UK and you've got an incredible team of, it looks like the vast majority f- women. Uh, are you not tempted to do research or get involved in this? Because, yeah, abs- yeah, absolutely. So I'm, I've set up a not-for-profit company called Newson Health Research and Education. And my main priority with setting this up a couple of years ago was education for healthcare professionals. I'm very embarrassed that I run a private clinic. People should not be paying to see someone to get HRT. So I thought, well, actually, if I can educate people, then that's good. I can close my clinic. So we set up an educational program, um, started working on it three years ago. We launched it officially about eight months ago. And actually, I don't, it was genius of me in retrospect because it's a remote 
learning programs so people and I did it because I've got children I don't like traveling and sitting in a lecture theater I get a bit fed up just listening to lectures so we made it very interactive we've filmed some consultations as well and it's all evidence-based but people can do it in the comfort of their homes and we've had over 18,000 healthcare professionals download it over the last few months we made it free because if you make anything cost, it puts people off. And initially we were going to do it at a low cost and then I decided to make it free. So my finance director's gone mad with me. We're heavily in debt because we don't do any work with pharma. It's very hard to get any funding for um, research and education. So we've got that, but then the priority is also research. Obviously the last 18 months has been taken up with COVID quite rightly so. But I've also got an immunology degree and we know that estrogen, I've already said, responds to every cell in our body, including our immune cells. So women have better immune functions than men, hence the man flu is a real thing because men don't fight infections in the same way. So we know that estrogen helps improve the way our immune cells work, how they function, it genetically reprograms it, very clever. But we also know that women who take HRT are less likely to die from COVID. So we've been trying to access some research on that. And I, I, we counted the other day, there's 41 research groups that we've liaised with, and mainly men, different universities, very clever people. And the pushback has been, oh, but HRT causes breast cancer. Why would you give that in a pandemic? And it's like, oh, really? We're just talking about some estrogen to help your immune function. So it's very hard to engage some groups. We're just trying to to finance um, a PhD student so we can do some research into mental health because mental health in the menopause is huge. There's seven times increased risk of, or a sevenfold increase of suicide in women between the ages of 40 and 50 compared to other ages. Now, if you've been listening to this over the last half an hour, you'll realize that I've already said the majority of women are either perimenopausal or menopausal between 40 and 50. So we see and speak to a lot of women who have suicidal thoughts and mental health is terrible, but no research is being done in this. And this is a real urgency. One thing women suffering with symptoms is another thing with women really battling to stay alive or not. So, you know, there's so much needs to be done, but, you know, I, I don't have any backing. I really don't have much money. We've set up the app without any financial backing. We've got this research education without any financial backing. The clinic gives a lot of money that way to help. But, you know, I'm hoping with time people will start to realise. And also I founded the Menopause Charity because I really want a helpline so people can phone and listen to someone to help them. But all this takes time and money, which I don't have much of either. It's brilliant, though. Like you've <laughs> your only work been is three, brilliant. Like your, your kind of practice has only largely been three years. So you've yeah. accomplished. You're doing amazing. You're phenomenal. Genuinely, yeah. metaphorical hats off. To you. Yeah, <laughs> really. Uh, I, can I ask? I wanted to just say so. So, like perimenopausal typically starts when a woman's around forty, and would that mean like the average? Like you know the way if you were to just come up with a mean, like if someone was, if a woman was forty, would they maybe start taking HRT then? Yeah. So the earlier the better, to, to be honest. And that's for two reasons. Firstly. We know that as soon as your hormones start declining, these effects affect the bones. So, um, sorry, the system, so especially our bones. So I've already said that estrogen is an anti-inflammatory. So without estrogen, you get this pro-inflammatory response in the body. So if you've got nasty inflammation in the body, it increases risk of diseases such as heart disease, osteoporosis, diabetes, dementia, also many cancers as well. And that's what happens as we age, we get more inflammation, but you get this accelerated aging, if you like, without hormones. So the sooner you replace them, the better for your future health. But also it means that women aren't suffering in the same way. You know, most women I see in my clinic have been suffering for five, 10, 15, sometimes longer years. They've given up their job, their partners have often left them they're really having a difficult time. And yes, I can help get them better, but why have they, why have they spent so long suffering? It's wrong. So, you know, there's nobody who should be suffering menopausal symptoms or perimenopausal symptoms alone. There's always something that can be done. 
there's two can i say two things because i think these are this is what one was like it seems like the way you know there's mandatory breast checks breast cancer checks mm. like why don't when every woman hits 40 there's a mandatory you know menopausal check and go okay where are your hormone levels like how are you doing because it sounds like it really inhibits it's so it obvious affects, isn't it yeah and, 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 and then I, the, this, this, yeah, the, sorry, the, sec, the second one i was going to say i think we should change the name of hrt and call it something else because hrt mm. has all these associations but just change the name and have a slightly different process because it is a different product now absolutely so so yeah you're, you're so right so when I started to realize how big this problem was and how bad it was I sort of thought right I what can I do so I thought well I'll play with the media a bit because we can get messages out through the media but I'd also see what the government is doing and so I went to a government meeting with Dame Stanley Davis who was our chief medical officer before Chris Whitty and we had this great meeting because you know 40 to 50 percent of NHS employees are menopausal women I've already said a lot of women are leaving the workplace. So, you know, we need to look after the NHS, which is such a big employer. And um, I said to her, well, why can't, when every woman is called for a mammogram, their first mammogram around the age of 50, can't we just have a fact sheet about the menopause there? So to improve awareness. And then she said, no, that would cost too much money. And I said, well, I'll design it. I don't understand because you're sending something out already. And then what about when everyone has a cervical smear? Because then... Um, when they have cervical screening, you can just have information there right from the get-go. So before, hopefully, a lot of them will experience symptoms. Or oh, logistically, that would be too difficult. So um, it, it, it's about trying to capture people when they come. And, you know, I've been pregnant three times. I had so much intervention. It was great by, you know, midwives, by health visitors, going to the hospital, loads and loads of information, which at the time was great. But, you know, you're only pregnant nine months and then you carry on. This is happening, you know, most women will be menopausal for at least three decades, sometimes a lot more, but we're not having any health check. We have a health check over in England, which is um, like a well woman check at the age of 40 odd, but no one talks about hormones. So I don't, I actually don't know why it's, why it hasn't. And I think it's because there's not a blood test. I think if there was a test, it would be easier. But actually, a lot of the work I'm doing is thinking, well, let's just empower women. You know, women are not stupid, but we need to be given the right information. But you're right. In, in Europe and, and some of the American countries, we call HRT MHT, so menopausal hormonal treatment or menopausal hormonal therapy. Um, and that gives it, because actually when you have it in the perimenopause, it's not replacement. You're not replacing anything. You're just topping up what's missing. So you're totally, it needs a whole new rebranding. Totally agree. For like, can I just try to recap just so that I'm understanding it correctly? So, say for any woman listening who's in their forties, they're most likely to be, and they're experiencing symptoms such as sleep, maybe sweats, maybe muscle pains, maybe aches, maybe kind of um, mood swings and this type of thing. They're possibly perimenopause, and then they can go. And typically, if you are going to take HRT, the majority of it is estrogen, isn't it? Because progesterone typically is given just to stop the the cell wall of the the womb. the womb i'm getting the technical term incorrect but it was yeah, the yeah, risk of cancer right. in the in the kind of cell wall of the womb that was largely why progesterone was given so it's predominantly estrogen which mm. is being given and typically you can start on a small dose and see the impact to find that sweet spot a bit like a contraception pill not all one pill suits everyone mm. people will play around with different ones to get that right sweet spot and then the other part of it is there's no upper level as into the age that someone can start taking some HRT exactly. or start start continue to take it. Like I, I think I heard you talk to someone in their 90s starting to yeah. take. Yeah, some... yeah, yeah. Yeah, because it's so safe, because it, we give estrogen through the skin as a patch gel or spray. So it goes straight into the bloodstream. There's no risk of clot. So it's very, very easy. It's very different to these older types that I mentioned earlier. So women can start it when they're older, but also they can continue it forever as well, because as soon as they stop HRT, that's when the health risks start. So you want to you want to start it early and carry on taking it forever. Is it expensive? Uh, it costs the NHS about four quid a month. If you think if you think three billion pounds a year is spent on osteoporotic hip fractures, um, and you think of the billions spent on heart disease, dementia care, mental health, migraines, all these increase after the menopause. So it's pennies really to save pounds. Um, a lot of people I see in my clinic have been given antidepressants. They've had investigations for palpitations, headaches, joint pains. They've seen numerous doctors and all every doctor visit 
is money, isn't it, for a healthcare system? Every investigation is money. Uh, and also a lot of these women have, have said given up their jobs. So we did a bit of financial modeling and worked out that if 1% of menopausal women are like some of the women I see, you could potentially save the economy about half a billion pounds a year by giving them proper HRT. It's quite a lot of money, isn't it? Yeah. I don't know, it's so big, I don't know what it looks like. It's just loads. Yeah. <laughs> and, and then final recap is that so most women who are 40, like it would be it would be smart to go kind of maybe download your app, your balance app and kind of start clocking the symptoms because mm. it sounds like the earlier you identify the symptoms, the more likely you're going to have better health and your hormones won't. And less risk of heart disease and dementia, the two leading causes of premature um, death, I guess, isn't it? Mortality really in women. Loving all the facts. Brilliant. Yeah. Woo! <laughs> uh, one final question is in Japan, they don't have a word for hot flushes. And is that down to diet or is that just down to a lack of language? Do you know, it's a bit, but everyone says that. And I think partly it's their diet because you can manipulate. Definitely, you know, if, if someone's having hot flushes, you can change the diet. Like lack of, if you reduce processed food, reduced alcohol, it can make a difference. But you guys already know that the menopause is more than just hot flushes. Very yeah, good. Very I good. like you're that. You're brilliant. Just you, you, like I admire your work massively. Well done. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I want to be your friend. <laughs> <laughs> and for anyone who wants to learn more, so you've your balance app. So that's a really, it sounds like a real practical tool, as Dave mentioned, for kind of early diagnosis or even just diagnosis and great one to save eight to 10 minutes if you're going to your medical practitioner. Mm -hmm. uh, then you have your charity. What's your charity called again? So Louise the, Newson. The menopause Health. charity. Oh, okay. And then that's your great. clinic is Louise Newson's clinic, yeah, I think. The clinic is called Newson Health, but we, it, it's not about the clinic. It's about getting empowered. So we've got um, a menopause society for all healthcare professionals, which is nhmenopausesociety.org. And that's um, for any healthcare professional to come. We're doing lots of webinars, information through that. So healthcare professionals for the society, women and also partners and people at work, balance, so balance-app.com. Or the information website is balance-menopause.com, which has over two and a half thousand bits of research and information and tools to really help. So those two are the most important. And then once the charity has money, we'll be doing a help run through the charity. Wow. Thank you, Louise. You're Dear. amazing. Thank you for your time. Your <laughs> You're leading with the charge. Oh, thank you. I think the menopause is my favorite area of health at the moment. I'm absolutely fascinated. I think it's, I feel like I've just learned so much i uh, hope you really got a huge amount out of this i think it's like an area of society almost like you know the way teenage years is something that you know it's obvious when someone's going through you know they're more likely to have acne and similarly menopause it's something as a society we need to gather around become more aware and support our women through this because it's something that it's half our population and they're you know and also i think even aside from that hrt like hrt has as we discussed during the podcast it gets a really bad rap being I'm only fresh new freshly new to this I think I, I'm amazed that I, I really would encourage the women in my life to really look into HRT because it sounds like it's it really makes life easier through the perimenopause and menopause so anyway we really hope you enjoyed this conversation and um, if you found it of some use please share it because I think as a society we all need to gather around and support our women more and become more aware of menopause and yeah if you share it in Instagram stories we will reshare it and spread the word um, and uh, yeah if you enjoyed this one we did another podcast on menopause with Dr. Shazadi Harper so do check that one out and this is part of our sex series so there's all sorts of interesting ones and here. relationships oh yeah but it's been mostly about yeah okay right anyway if you enjoyed this one there's loads of other episodes what do you think you might enjoy and yeah. but thanks again we really really appreciate your attention yeah we love this bye 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 bye